Happy Easter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. You sound like you've been here every week for the last 10 years. Good job. As you know, this year Easter falls on April Fool's Day. And you may recall that Ash Wednesday coincided with Valentine's Day. So smart little priest that I am, I've been waiting all of Lent to unveil my master overarching theme of these past 40 days. Let us be fools for love. Get it? Fools, April Fools, love, Valentine's Day. Unfortunately, it was so busy I just completely forgot to say anything whatsoever about this theme for the last 40 days. So this morning we're kind of left with a concept and no action plan. But there we are. Fools for love. (sighs) Incidentally, this is the first time in 485 years that this confluence of holidays has occurred. Back in 1533, Henry VIII played an Easter April Fool's joke on Pope Clement VII saying he was going to divorce Catherine of Aragon and Marianne Boleyn. No matter what the Pope said. Sadly, Clement had no sense of humor. So the Pope promptly excommunicated Henry, which, yada, 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 led to the Episcopal Church, all based on an April Easter, April Fool's Easter joke. April Fool's. (laughs) Actually, 1956 was the last time this happened. Uh, All that stuff about Henry and Clement is mostly untrue. (laughs) Not all. So, in my usual desperate attempts to bring you an edifying message from the pulpit, I googled April Fool's Easter, and the word pranks automatically showed up in that little typing window. So I clicked on the top hit. It was a blog entry written by a mom with six Easter-specific April Fool's pranks to try out on your kids. One joke involved wrapping up blueberries in tiny broccoli heads in shiny candy wrappers and stuffing them into plastic eggs so that when the kids find them on their Easter egg hunt, they'll have a healthy snack. That's going to backfire. Another joke she suggests is to let the kids loose on their Easter egg hunt in the yard without actually hiding any eggs. And then see how long before they catch on. But my favorite, and I swear I'm going to get to Jesus in a little bit. (laughs) My favorite joke was to have your kids dye Easter eggs the night before but only hard-boil half of the eggs. <laughs> so if they press a little too hard with their markers or their little paintbrushes, they'll get slimed. <laughs> Boy, it almost makes me want to have kids of my own. <laughs> and then to time it for 2029, which is the next time these holidays coincide. So those are ideas for, I guess it won't be for another 11 years. Your kids will be grown. Oh, well. Okay, Jesus. <laughs> the reason for the season There is a song by another deceased Jew I love, Leonard Cohen, called 
heart with no companion. It contains a lyric that Jesus could actually have sung to Mary Magdalene when he met her in the garden that first Easter morning. I greet you from the other side of sorrow and despair with a love so vast and shattered it will reach you everywhere. And in many ways, that lyric is meant for us this morning as we encounter Christ once more on this, his rebirth day. In years past, I have preached on Easter Day about doubt and how we struggle with belief in the resurrection. This year, new church for me here, I want to speak instead to how the resurrection of Christ continues among us if only we could see that abundance that is all around instead of fixating on what we lack. And the one word that expresses how that abundance can be made manifest and maybe even heal the world is relationship. Cliched, I realize. But honestly, through all the sorrow and despair we human beings have inflicted upon one another, lately I keep coming back to this same central idea. We belong to each other. I mean that literally. We are each other's keeper. We are each other's lover. We are each other's friend. Around the world, not just among the people you know already and you already love, not just in California or in the United States, everywhere. And until we can take such a radical idea as our guiding principle, we belong to each other. The wrongs will not be righted. But every time we do something that shows this love and relationship, especially with someone we might never have thought to care for, we create the possibility for resurrection once more. So I want to tell you a couple of stories that I think illustrate this idea of resurrection. Um, I am hooked on a reality show from Netflix. It's called Queer Eye. And basically, it's five gay men who descend on a small town in Georgia and do a makeover for kind of a schlubby straight guy <laughs> who needs help, right? He doesn't. So the, the, the first episode, there's a guy, I think his name was Tom. He's a sweet guy. He's in his 60s. He wears a baseball cap. He's got a t-shirt and a beer gut and jorts, <laughs> which are jean shorts, they call them. <laughs> And he tucks his t-shirt in and he wears these flip-flops and he's got a, an easy chair recliner that looks like it really shouldn't be sat on. And he's got an apartment of junk and, you know, what lady friend would want to come over, all of this stuff. So the five guys, the Fab Five, they descend on the house and they help this guy. And, you know, again, this is rural, rural Georgia and this meeting of different cultures that seems like it might be scary, actually turns out to be wonderful. They are so loving and lovely to this guy. One shows him how to cook, one shows him how to dress, one helps him groom his monster beard into this kind of cool little kind of narrow thing. One kind of redoes the whole apartment so that he actually has two recliners so that someone who visits might actually stay, have a place to sit. And then one guy helps him kind of with his self-esteem because when they showed up initially, this guy sees them and he says, well, you're, you're welcome to be here, but you know, you can't fix ugly. And that's what he says about himself. And so they spend a week together. 
And in the middle of it, somehow, he transforms. He starts laughing and giggling. Turns out he's got a great sense of humor and he's playful. And it all comes out. And when he sees his new place and he gets his new duds and he gets his beard trimmed and the food he makes for a party he's throwing, all this stuff, he just blossoms. And so at the end of the episode, he asks his ex-wife that he's still in love with out to the car show because he has these antique cars and before he does that, he stands up in the middle of the guys and says, I just want to tell you guys, you've changed my life. I just sat around and I didn't think there was anything else left for me. And you guys came and I had such a good time. And he starts crying and crying. And he says, you've helped me become the person I've always longed to be. And, of course, us viewers are crying because, well, you know, manly tears, of course. But um, this guy, Tom, went from... You can't fix ugly to I'm beautiful. Because some people thought, and yes, it's a reality show, but some people thought to come from out of nowhere, descend upon him and show him how beloved and wonderful he is and help him along that path. That is resurrection. I greet you from the other side of sorrow and despair with a love so vast and shattered it will reach you everywhere. It will reach you in rural Georgia. It will reach you when you're watching a reality show and might think you're ugly and can't be fixed. So this is resurrection and it's all around us. It's on Netflix for crying out loud. <laughs> so the second story is a little more personal and I'm hoping I can remember all the details. Um, prior to this church, I was at another St. Luke's in Long Beach and um, I was the interim rector, I'm kind of the head guy. And what happens in churches a lot is you get a lot of solicitations in the mail and a lot of people coming to the door and asking for money or food or help or a hotel or whatever. And I will be honest with you, I tend to gloss over. Um, there's only so much you can do. You get really busy with other stuff. And so um, a letter came uh, when I was in Long Beach from a guy in Soledad State Prison. And it was handwritten. And so I got the letter. I kind of glanced at it and I thought, oh, he probably wants money in so I put it aside, and I didn't throw it away, though. Instead, I put it in the stack of things that um, you may have, like that stack of things you carry around in your bag. It's like, I'm going to get to those someday. And then five months later, you're still carrying it around and wondering. So that's what I did with this letter. It was in my stack of things. But I didn't do anything about it. I didn't even read the letter, the handwritten letter. And so um, I was living in Long Beach, and my husband was living up here in San Mateo. So I would get to come visit him once a month, William. So I came up to visit William once, and I actually had a little time. So I said, oh, here's a stack of things I haven't dealt with. And so here's this letter five months later. And I said, hey, William, look, this is a letter from a guy from a prison, and I don't know what he wants, but I don't know. So William says, well, let me see that. So I give him the letter, and he looks at it, and he says, wow, he's got really nice handwriting, which is a thing for William. <laughs> so he reads the letter, and he looks up at me, and he says, sweetie, the guy wants a book of stamps. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, read the letter. So finally, five months later, I take the letter and I read it. And this is a guy who is in prison and has been there for a while. And happily, he was an alcoholic, and I think that's part of what got him there. But he, uh, he found God. And he started in the AA 12-step program in the prison. And he was at the step where you have to make amends with the people you've wronged. And so he had 40 letters to write. But they didn't have money for stamps. And so he was requesting, you know, of churches, can you send me a book of stamps? So I'm reading this and I'm like, 
God, Ricardo, can you, is this really the best you can do? It's like five months later to finally read this letter. So I looked at William and he said, we're going to the post office. I said, okay. And I got excited. I said, let's get all 40 stamps. He said, no, he asked for a book. Give him a book. He's probably written to other places. So we got the book of stamps. William wrote the letter. I signed it so I could get the credit. And, <laughs> and we sent the book of stamps to this guy. So that took me five months or more. Five days later, I got a postcard in the mail. And uh, it says, Dear St. Luke's Episcopal, Today I received the postage stamps and card you sent my direction in response to the letter I sent asking for help six months ago. <laughs> I wanted to pass forward a most sincere thank you for keeping me in mind all this time. I feel so blessed and wish to show my gratitude. This card right here is made by me from flowers found in our prison yard and some oil pastels. The clear coat on top is my own recipe. Sincerely in Christ, Robert. He took these flowers from the prison yard. He painted with pastels on it. And wrote a note. And so the card says, on the front it says, Friends, there is no greater power, no greater love, no greater joy and hope than that which is found in our Lord Jesus Christ. I greet you from the other side of sorrow and despair with a love so vast and shattered, it will reach you everywhere. It will reach you in prison it will reach you in your church parish office where you think you're too important and busy to answer letters. Uh, I would say I was the one who was resurrected maybe in that story. But he was also on his path of resurrection, trying to make his own amends. And these things happen all around us. But we have to make the connection. Resurrection doesn't happen on its own. You know? So there's, this, there's two lessons for the day. As the late Sandra Schneiders, a Roman Catholic nun and scholar of the Gospel of John writes, the meaning of the text is not in the past to be recovered, but in the present to be discovered. How will you discover resurrection in your life this coming year? Will you return to this place next Easter, your heart brimming with stories of new life and new love? Will you sacrifice for something bigger than you and your needs? Help others make this a better world, even if it causes you some pain? If you do these things, your reward will be tenfold. You will experience resurrection. And so will those whose lives you touch. You are, each and every one of you, called to be in relationship with God and with the world. You are being wooed by divine love and then sent forth. As Jesus tells Mary Magdalene, do not hold on to me, but take the love you've soaked up in your life and share it with a world that so desperately needs it. Every one of you has a gift. 
And God would have you draw it forth and use it for good. So I greet you from the other side of sorrow and despair. With a love so vast and shattered, it will reach you everywhere. You, even though you think it's not going to happen, it can. I am so glad to see you all here today, visitors and regulars alike. Take the resurrection seriously and be the body of Christ in the world. God loves you, and so do I.